As a matter of interest, what were you thinking? Which memory did you choose? It's not happy, exactly. Well, it is. It's the happiest I've ever felt. Harry Potter. That's why you're famous. That's why everybody knows your name. You're the boy who lived. Do you know why I survived, Professor? The night I got this. Because of her. Because she sacrificed herself. Because she refused to step aside. Because her love was more powerful than Voldemort. What if after everything that I've been through, something's gone wrong inside me? What if I'm becoming bad? One of us is going to have to kill the other. In the end. Facing this stuff in real life is not like school. In school, if you make a mistake, you can just try again tomorrow. But out there, when you're a second away from being murdered or watching a friend die right before your eyes, you don't know what that's like. Episode 37 of Comic Book Movie Guy, the podcast. How are you guys? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. Anyways, today's topic is going to be Harry Potter. All day long, Harry Potter was on my mind, and I just don't know why. It was just one of those things where I must be getting the itch to rewatch Harry Potter. And it's one of the best film series of all time. It really is. Warner Brothers hit an absolute home run with this one. Like they really, it's like, it's some of the best content that I grew up with and now still able to rewatch and it just holds up so well. It was a, it was a story by JK Rowling that really, really took flight. No pun intended. It was massive. I remember the book sales were massive. And I remember in grade one, six years old, my dad showed up to school with my four-year-old sister and they were holding the VHS copy of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. I'll never forget that day. That's a huge memory just ingrained in my mind from childhood. And I've grown up all the way to... Deathly Hollows Part 2. Obviously, the film Deathly Hollows was split into two parts, but let's be honest, that's a lot of movies. You know, it's eight movies, and it's not easy to sell a crowd on eight movies. Harry Potter was one of the best 
film series that did that. From people being able to recognize the score just by passing, you know that's Harry Potter. If you hear that in passing, you know it's Harry Potter. And if you think that it was one director that had this one vision of this whole series, absolutely not. It was multiple directors with multiple different visions, but the story remained the same. And I mean, the last few movies, I think everything from uh, Order of the Phoenix, number five, all the way to Deathly Hollows number seven and number eight. I'm just going to call Deathly Hollows number seven and number eight because there are two films, whereas the book was just the one book. These filmmakers... It was, it's one collective vision for the character coming from J.K. Rowling. But what they did so well, for the most part, was stick to the source material. That's all you got to do. Because a lot of the times, the author is just so bang on with their visions of what their characters should look like, how they should feel, the personalities. And that's the thing, right? They cast just a, just a tremendous cast for Harry Potter. Like Daniel Radcliffe, like whether you like him or not, I don't know why you wouldn't like Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> he's just, he's outstanding. He really is. And as Harry got older, they really got lucky with Daniel Radcliffe because, you know, he was like 11 years old or 10 years old or whatever it was when he was cast. And a lot of times a young actor, they can go and some wild directions, if not given the proper guidance, etc. But Daniel Radcliffe is an absolute superstar. And he grossed so much money on these movies that he literally made a career out of Harry Potter. And now he's able to do things like Weird Al. <laughs> you know, like he's playing Weird Al in this upcoming uh, biopic about Weird Al. I think they actually call it... Uh, I don't even know what the hell it's called now. Man, set myself up for failure there. But honestly, Daniel Radcliffe, he doesn't just look Harry Potter, but he just like, he acts the role so, so well. And there's an underlying story here that is friendship, that is love, that is, that's the power, that's the strength behind this story is Harry is so driven by love. He was saved by love. His mom saved him by redirecting a spell from Lord Voldemort through love, through like literally shielding herself and sacrificing herself. And of course, as that spell occurs, the, uh, the, the oh so infamous Avada Kedavra spell. And you can't just say that. You can't just say Avada Kedavra. You have to say it like Ralph Fiennes does, the guy who plays Voldemort. He's always like, and it's way more powerful, you know. Ralph actually came out in a... I was going to review this movie on the podcast. It's called uh, The Menu. I watched it recently, and it's got uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Ralph Fiennes plays the the chef <laughs> who sort of has this greater vision, and that is to kill his uh, his guests and himself. 
Um, and it's part of the masterpiece of his, like his, it's part of his culinary masterpiece, if you will. And, uh, it was a good film, man. It was like a, it was like a food horror movie, which I don't know. I didn't really pair food and horror together all that well for a long time, but I would say that this movie is like the menu. It's probably up there for me with like a thriller like it's not even a thriller man it's just like a it's like a horror movie but you have these elements of comedy and you have these elements of like everything is going to be okay but then like the greater story comes out and it's just this is a massive tangent all I'm saying is Ralph Fiennes is a phenomenal actor and he plays Lord Voldemort and I start with Daniel Radcliffe and Ralph Fiennes because this is the ultimate match, right? It's Voldemort versus Harry. And essentially when Harry's mum gets uh, killed in the process of Voldemort trying to kill Harry, um, the spell rebounds because of her shield of love. <laughs> and uh, it splits Harry's soul in half essentially, right? And then we get into the horcruxes and all this other stuff where, you know, a piece of Voldemort lives inside of Harry. And there's just these, like, there's these really cool details. And obviously, I'm not, like, a super fan. Like, I don't have the lore of Harry Potter down. But, like, if you think about all of the elements to a Harry Potter film, it's just endless. And they could have done it forever. But it was also a franchise that actually decided to end it. And like legitimately end it. Yeah, sure, there's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them with Eddie Redmayne, I believe. And he plays Newt, who is some kind of a older... It's, I know it takes place before the events of Harry Potter. And I know that the Fantastic Beasts series aren't as good as Harry Potter. But like what made the Harry Potter so successful are the leads, right? You have to have that threat. And Ralph Fiennes is the ultimate threat as Voldemort. When he resurfaces in episode four in the Goblet of Fire, and we finally see Voldemort in like his human form, if you will, and him and Harry have their first wand battle, and I mean, you know, Goblet of Fire is the first film that we get like wand action, like legitimate wand action where like two wands connect, you know, like that there's that connection between the two of them. And when they both cast a spell, their wands sort of connect and it's these vibrant colors and it's just, you know, the souls that Voldemort has taken come flying out of his wand and like Harry can speak to the souls and, you know, everything from that, like from Voldemort to, uh, like, I, I just want to say that like the Goblet of Fire is the turning point into the darker sort of elements of Harry Potter. And when I look at the first two films, uh, which is Philosopher's Stone and uh, Chamber of Secrets, I look at two films that, as a kid, I really enjoyed, but that they, they also scared me. So that tells you that the adults enjoyed it as well, right? And they're well done. It's not, you know, like 
the basilisk, the snake in Chamber of Secrets, like that's a robotic snake, you know? Obviously parts are CGI'd. Things like that though, when you actually use practical effects and practical sets, like that's what I'm talking about, man. That's what Harry Potter was able to do is they had so many practical sets. And I mean, Warner Brothers has freaking theme park, three theme parks based on Harry Potter. And I've been on two of the, um, two separate theme parks I've been to where I've gone on the Harry Potter rides and it's phenomenal. They have the whole castle built and you like, you can walk through, you know, obviously once you get inside the castle, it's just the lineup for the ride, but the ride was phenomenal. You know, I remember being on the ride with my legs hanging out and my arms hanging out. And then you're like flipping through, uh, it was like, it was a mixture of practical things like the spider would come at you and spit some water your direction or something, you know, or you'd see a Dementor. And of course, for all you people who haven't seen Harry Potter in the third Harry Potter movie, Prisoner of Azkaban, like the scale is massive on these movies, right? And in the third one, they have the Dementors, which they suck the souls out of prisoners that go to Azkaban but Harry has a little thing with the Dementors and he has to be able to take them on and that's why Prisoner of Azkaban becomes my favorite film but I'll get to that I'll get there I gotta calm myself down the scale on these Harry Potter like like to actually try and tackle Harry Potter in an episode of a podcast is like it's massive right you're never gonna get to all of it and I thought to myself I'm like I'm gonna try and break this down or like at one point I was like downloading the trailers for like Philosopher's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban. Like I had the first three or four of them uh, downloaded and I was like, okay, I'm going to do like chunks with the trailers, but it's just, it's too much. It's too much. It's gonna, that's going to be like a three hour episode. So I'm like, I'm going to gonna generalize it a little bit more and I'm going to try and enjoy um, just the whole scale of Harry Potter for what it is. So anyways, back to the ride. You got the Dementors coming at you. You got all kinds of different things. You got the candles. You got Harry on his broomstick at one point. And when I say it's like half ride, half like 3D screen, that's what it is, man. Like Harry, Daniel Radcliffe literally comes out at you on the screen and you're wearing these glasses or whatever. And it's like partial VR, if you will, like virtual reality. And you literally follow him along the castle, him and Ron and Hermione. And it's just, you know, that whole experience, it's what people want, right? Like wizards, like that's awesome. People want to be wizards. People want to be able to cast spells and make potions and have pet owls and pet rats. And, you know, like maybe not pet rats. I have two pet rats. My dogs are rats, but you know what I'm trying to say. And when you have a legitimate threat and obviously his... Death Eaters, his followers, Voldemort's followers, as they sort of progress into this, these later stages of a Harry Potter film, you have characters like Bellatrix Lestrange, who is Sirius Black's cousin, and you have things like uh, the good versus evil battle between, you know, Lucius Malfoy and Sirius Black in Order of the Phoenix. You have these battles, and it's just... They grow their characters so well, and the supporting actors that they use are like all-time British actors. Like, it's almost as if they cast the three main kids 
at a really young age, and they sprinkled in a few big names. Like, obviously, Maggie Smith, as Professor McGonagall, is... She she was a big name back then. And although the man who played Dumbledore originally passed away, the guy who they recast as Dumbledore for Prisoner of Azkaban, he takes the reins and he does a really, really good job. And Dumbledore is another character that needed to land. He needed to be good, right? Because he's the ultimate wizard. And it's strange because he's so old, like he's Gandalf old, for all you Lord of the Rings fans out there. But he's got such incredible powers and he knows things that Harry does not. And when it unfolds in the seventh, when you find out the tragic, tragic uh, truth behind Dumbledore and like what he was keeping from Harry, you know, like Severus, Severus Snape. And we'll get to Snape, man. We'll get to Snape because Alan Rickman is the best part of the Harry Potter series. He just is. And, uh, you know, rest in peace, Alan Rickman. But I wanted to start with the kids. I talked about Daniel Radcliffe, but you also have Emma Watson as Hermione and you have Rupert Grint as Ron. And everything you hear about Rupert Grint, he is just Ron. Like that's who he was as a kid. And that's, how he's, you know, he's this lazy redhead and he's just kind of like go with the flow, nonchalant. And I love that character. I love Ron and Hermione was so good. And I heard that Emma Watson literally had like a really high IQ for a child and she was like brilliant. So a lot of times she was like the most prepared actor on that set, even at 10 or 11 years old. And you can see it. She excelled, right? And obviously she's like all three of these characters or all three of these actors, I mean, they haven't had to do another damn thing in their life after this. But at the same time, they do their own stuff. They have their own projects. They do their own things. I know that Emma Watson is a huge advocate for uh, like feminism and stuff. Like she's she's obviously uh, a massive, a massive role model to many. And uh, as far as Rupert Grint goes, I've seen him in a couple of different projects, but nothing crazy. And uh, Daniel Radcliffe, he continues to sort of build... Uh, a more, I don't, it's, it's an under the radar career now, isn't it? Because he's really not in, in the big movies anymore. It's a lot of like things like I saw him in a movie called the jungle recently where he was like trapped in a jungle and he's got this big beard and he's almost unrecognizable at times. I'm like, damn, that's Daniel Radcliffe. Like he was awesome in that movie. I enjoyed that a lot. But with the three of them, they just had this on screen chemistry and from what the directors say, it was from the first freaking uh, roll call when they checked him out for the first time and they had him on film. It just like clicked and you can tell it clicks, right? Like they just get along and they all just love each other. And it's just like, it's such a, it's a privilege to watch, you know, like three friends and you sort of build this friendship and the stakes get higher and higher with each movie. Like the threat becomes legitimate and the threat becomes, you know, people are dying. Like it goes from like kids to like, okay, a little bit of dark magic exists in the world of Harry Potter to, oh my God, there are murderers and people are dying. And you know, (laughs) I'm going to talk about it. Cedric Diggory, my boy, Rob Pattinson, 
You know, that was, I don't know if that was his acting debut, but it damn well could have been. He's so young in that movie and he was a presence for Goblet of Fire. He was good, you know, and it was more of a teenage heartthrob. But his death, man, his death is so sad in Goblet of Fire. And, uh, you know, that was a big death. Like it was a big, bold death on the big screen. <laughs> I remember it was, it was tragic. And I remember feeling like, damn, this is getting dark. You know, 10 year old me, <laughs> you know, 12 year old me watching it. This is getting super dark, like getting kind of scared of the Harry Potter movies, but I kept going. And that's what's important, right? Is if, is, is that you keep going. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I did because I really got to see, and we'll get to now Severus Snape. I want to talk about Alan Rickman and his performance as Snape because in the early movies, Snape is, he's a mystery and throughout he's a bit of a mystery, right? Like he obviously hates Harry or has some resentment for Harry throughout the whole series and you just, you wonder why and you wonder why and you wonder why and then you find out that Snape was so in love with Harry's mom and it was a mutual love or a mutual friendship at least. Um, they leave a lot up for discussion, which I love with that whole series or with that whole uh, whole storyline, that plot. Um, Lily, Harry's mom, they even kept the actress t- who played her the whole series. And you find out that Harry's dad is a bit of a dick throughout, you know, like he picked on Severus And he picked on different people, you know, like he was just this like arrogant, lazy, gifted wizard. And that's what Snape sees in Harry throughout the entire series. But you also get why. He's literally protecting Harry. And, you know, you you get to that final movie where Snape's story is unfolding and you get to see the love story with Lily And you get to see that Snape was the first one in that house after the murders. And he walks past Harry's dead dad. And he walks right up to Lily, who's dead on the ground. And he starts, like, like he caresses her. And he's literally rocking her back and forth, just wailing, just crying. And Harry, the baby, like, baby Harry is in the crib. (laughs) It's just, it's nuts, man. It's so good. And he's like, you know... Uh, Snape casts the Patronus charm, which obviously helps defend against Dementors, etc. But in this case, in the seventh film, in part two, he casts... In part one, you see Harry sees a, a, a fawn and it leads him to the Sword of Gryffindor, which he needs to help kill Horcruxes because it's got Voldemort's sort of it's got like basilisk fang venom in the sword it's literally ingrained in the sword from when Harry kills the basilisk in in the chamber of secrets but when Harry finds the sword this fawn this patronus charm that is a fawn shows him where to go And in the second part, you find out that that was Snape and that he's using Lily's, like that's Lily's sign. The Patronus charm, that is the fawn, that is Lily, that's Harry's mom. And Dumbledore just says to Snape, after all this time, 
Lily, you know? And Snape's like, always. <laughs> Just like, it hits home, man. I remember, it, like, I still get chills even thinking about that scene. And just thinking about that moment where we find out that all this time Snape has loved Lily and has watched over Harry in a sense, helped him through different things, not against him, but he's also playing a double agent. Snape does work for Voldemort throughout three quarters of the, of the series, but it's under, like he's living a double agent life essentially, and he's reporting everything back to Dumbledore. And he works for Dumbledore. And ultimately, in The Half-Blood Prince, the sixth film, Snape has to make the decision to kill Dumbledore, to earn Voldemort's trust. And that is just a... It's epic. It's tragic. It's all of the above. And I want to talk about my two favorite... My two favorite Harry Potter films. And it's been hard to narrow it down because I have so many moments from... The fifth Harry Potter with with at the end of Order of the Phoenix. I don't love Order of the Phoenix. It's like, it's a good film, but it has its boring parts, etc. The last scene where Voldemort is fighting Dumbledore, Voldemort is displaying pure power. Like he is in mint condition and he is literally in his prime is how it feels. And it's a powerful, powerful 15 minutes or so when those two are battling um i love the elements of you know the early days with philosopher's stone chamber of secrets those are great films and they're kid films with you know some some pretty awesome content but for me the first of my favorite i can't just choose one because there's two you know and there's moments that sprinkle throughout that I love so much. But for me, Prisoner of Azkaban is where everything changes. That's where, you know, we get the darker magic. We get the threat that is Sirius Black. And then you find out that Sirius Black was actually named Harry's godfather by James and Lily. And Harry has to encounter this. And then they turn back time in that film. They ride on Buckbeak, who is the hippogriff. I love the hippogriff concept because it was drawn by an illustrator for, for Prisoner of Azkaban when the book came out. So I always used to look through my mom's book collection. Um, that was Harry Potter. And when I would look at that collection of Harry Potter books, they came with images. And I think that's what really helped people. And I don't mean like images in every page. I mean the cover was illustrated right like it was a painting almost and it gave people a real sense of what these characters look like and i don't know like the hippogriff was on like buckbeak was on the the back of that novel the back of prisoner of azkaban and i just from that moment on i was like damn and then you see it in live action and you see this big like it's like a centaur kind of but the top of it is like an eagle, but it's like massive and it's the size of a horse. <laughs> it's just like, and Harry rides this thing in his uh, defense against the dark arts, dark arts class. And uh, it's, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal, happy start to Prisoner of Azkaban. 
And then from there, it gets darker in tone and darker in tone to the point where it's like, damn, this is a dark Harry Potter movie. I love this, you know? And it felt like adult and it felt like the kids are getting older into their teenage years. And it was just like, it was for me, that's what opened up the world of Harry Potter to sort of get a bigger cast going, get more people in, build the world further. We get things like, uh, what the hell is that called? Um, the one-eyed witch, the one-eyed witch path and stuff that the Weasley brothers give Harry, you know, the, the map, mischief manage, the marauders map. That's what it's called. You tap it and you say mischief manage and it disappears, which I love. You know, if you think about the spell mischief manage, like you're managing the mischief, you're mischievous because you can literally see where anybody's walking in the castle. And I loved, I I just, there were so many elements of that that were so cool, right? Like Harry's got this little piece of parchment that he can keep track of where people are in the castle. And then of course with Professor Lupin, who I forget what the actor's name is, but he's in all kinds of different British shows and he's actually come over to American television for the last few, um, the last few uh, years of his career here. Um, And he plays Professor Lupin, who ultimately is a werewolf. And that for me is some of the coolest content is when the werewolves chase Harry and Hermione um, through the woods And the way that they shot this film, they do the scene with everybody once and then Harry and Hermione have to go back in time to reset a few things that happen in the continuity of the timeline. And when they do that, you know, it all comes full circle because you hear Hermione at one point during the first scenes where they're kind of the normal continuity of the timeline is set. You can hear Hermione save Harry at one point And then we don't get to see that until later in the film when they go back in time and it's like, oh, you know, Hermione saved Harry in that instance. Or, you know, Harry sees uh, what he thinks is his dad come out to cast the Patronus charm. But in fact, it's him that he sees because he can finally do it. He can finally defend himself against the Dementors and the payoff there is massive. And there's this big threat of Sirius Black, his godfather who broke out of Azkaban. And, you know, it's this big mystery of where is Sirius Black always in the castle now. Like he's getting closer, getting closer. And then you finally see him and it's Gary Oldman. And of course, Gary Oldman's going to knock it out of the park. He's the best, man. I love Gary Oldman. And uh, he literally is the best guy in the world. Like Sirius Black has this huge heart and he just wants the best for Harry and he was best friends with his dad and he sees a lot of Harry in, or he sees a lot of Harry's dad in Harry, which is a really cool dynamic. And that's why I love Prisoner of Azkaban so much. And like my second slot goes to the Half-Blood Prince, but it's just by a hair because part two of the Deathly Hollows is so damn good, man. Every one of the Harry Potter movies has its best elements, but part two, there's like the final fight scene and like Harry has to die in order for this all to work, 
you know, and in order for him to be able to kill Voldemort, he himself has to die. Like, neither one can live while the other survives, is what the prophecy says in the Order of the Phoenix. And Harry literally has to sacrifice himself in order to piece together this puzzle and actually kill Voldemort, or defeat him, I should say. But the scale of that final movie, um, with everything, and massive, massive deaths in that movie, like Lupin dies, Snape dies, so many big characters die. You know, like one of the Weasley twins dies. It's just sad, man. And it just, that's important to show because it shows how high the stakes are. You're literally losing major characters. And, you know, Harry, like from episode four or from the fourth movie all the way to this eighth movie, it's, it's a lot of darkness and there are deaths and it's like, Okay, Harry Potter didn't come to play, you know? And uh, it ends, you know, people who love the books didn't love the ending, I heard, of, uh, of part two. And the way Voldemort sort of... My only critique is when Harry comes back to fight Voldemort one last time. They've killed off all the other Horcruxes, all seven of his souls or whatever it is. All six of his souls have now been defeated. And all that's left is Voldemort. All that's left is him. And there's all this side plot with the Elder Wand and all this great stuff, all these great little things. And Harry finally, like, disarms Voldemort is all he does. <laughs> like he, he disarms him and the wand goes flying through the air and Harry catches it, you know, he catches the elder wand that uh, Voldemort stole from the tomb of Dumbledore because Dumbledore passed away in the sixth, the Half-Blood Prince. And I'll get to that as my closing because Half-Blood Prince is my all-time favorite. When Harry disarms him, Voldemort sort of just... He doesn't evaporate, but he sort of like flakes away. And it makes sense why he flakes away. You know, it feels like the rest of the Horcruxes. But I just wanted that last death to be super powerful. You know, like Harry just evaporates him like really quick or something, you know, or like one zap of his wand and away goes Voldemort. Finally, Harry's triumphant. And I can't remember how, uh, how Harry defeats Voldemort in the book. I think it's similar, but I just didn't love the way that Voldemort faded away, I guess. I just wished it, that was just like a selfish thing, selfish thing of mine was to, to want Voldemort to just completely explode or something, you know? Um, but Half-Blood Prince, let's talk about it. Just quick here to end this episode, and then I'm going to finish it with the latter half of the Harry Potter tribute that I put at the beginning of this episode, because... I feel like this this clip that I found really demonstrates what the whole plot of the entire film series is, you know, and that's why I put it in here. I thought it would be a really nice way to to sort of close out the episode. But Half-Blood Prince is, it's phenomenal for so many reasons. And in my genuine opinion, the Half-Blood Prince is one of the lightest tones to the adult Harry Potter series, you know. Like, and when I say adult, I just mean from, like, the fourth movie on. Um, 
Half-Blood Prince is an interesting watch because it's literally Harry traveling with Dumbledore to hunt Horcruxes at times. It's Harry sort of being this, you know, like he's he's healing. He's healing from the events of Order of the Phoenix when Voldemort was like in his head and Harry was sort of going through depression and it was, you know, he was feeling like evil thoughts and stuff like that. Like Voldemort was literally inside him, right? And a part of Voldemort lives in Harry. So he does have, um, he does have these tendencies these that he doesn't, that he can't control sometimes. So in Half-Blood Prince, we finally see Harry healing. And we see him sort of develop this cool relationship with Professor Slughorn, who's, uh, I'm also going to draw a blank on his name. All these British actors, they're more faces for me than they are names. And that's, that's just the, and it's not every British actor. It's just for the Harry Potter series. They are like, they're names that you know, but they're names that are known from Harry Potter or they're names that are known from just before Harry Potter. But what I love so much is that Harry needs to develop this relationship or this friendship, if you will, with this professor because he holds the memory that gave Voldemort the key to how to split his soul into seven pieces, the Horcruxes. And the Horcruxes for me, what were really, it really grabbed me when I read the books. Like the Half-Blood Prince was the book that really grabbed me. And I thought the adaptation on screen was so good. And so like, they just did the book justice, you know? And for me, the Half-Blood Prince is such an important film because you see Snape's dark side and you sort of get that really important piece for the finale. And it's that Snape is the double agent, but you don't know. And Snape ends up being the Half-Blood Prince. And Harry finds this textbook in potions class. And that's why it's called the Half-Blood Prince. The textbook is this old ratty textbook. And it says property of the Half-Blood Prince. And Harry follows the potions, etc. in his uh, potions classes. And becomes like this um, amazing pupil for Professor Slughorn. Because he's following the instructions of the Half-Blood Prince. Who he finds out at the end is Snape and Snape is faced with a very difficult decision because he makes the unbreakable vow. He holds the hand of Draco Malfoy's mom. And I haven't talked about Draco too much. And what's funny is Draco is in all eight movies. And I think he has a total. I want to say it's something really, really scarce. Like it's something close to like 16 or 26 minutes of screen time only but Malfoy is so effective he started as Harry's antagonist early on right when they're kids you know the there's the internal battles in in Hogwarts between um Slytherin and Gryffindor and I I didn't even talk about the houses you know like you have Gryffindor Hufflepuff uh Slytherin uh Ravenclaw what else am I missing? Who knows? You know, those are the important ones for the most part. But I just, listen, Draco Malfoy was really, really good. And the way that um, they play Draco 
in Half-Blood Prince is probably my favorite of the films because Draco is tasked with the heavy, heavy task of assassinating Professor Dumbledore. And that is his um, his tap, if you will, from Voldemort to be welcomed in as a Death Eater. And once he completes this task, he's in. You know, and his whole family's already in. And you sort of root for Draco and you feel bad for Draco throughout this movie. And that's why I love it so much too. Is there are elements where you're like, damn, like Draco's really going through it, you know? And it's the most that Draco has of screen time in any of the films is in this one. And Harry actually uses a spell on Malfoy in one, at one point in The Half-Blood Prince. And it almost kills him. And luckily Snape is there or comes to the rescue to sort of help out and get, vault, or get uh, Draco back to health. Because it's obviously his spell. Which is a nice early nod to the fact that Snape is the Half-Blood Prince. With Snape making the unbreakable vow early in the film, he makes it with uh, with Malfoy's mum. And he swears to carry out the deed if Malfoy cannot. And, you know, ultimately, as a, as a viewer, we see Snape make that vow at the beginning. And he's very confident. You know, he's, your sister doubts me. <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, he's, and you know what? Snape comes through and he kills Voldemort or he kills Voldemort. He kills Dumbledore. And it's uh it's a great scene. You know, Harry and Dumbledore just get back from finding a horcrux. They they sort of apparate back into the castle and Draco shows up and Harry has to go below to hide. And when Snape shows up, he sort of you know, step aside, Draco. And you just see, have this moment between Dumbledore and Snape where you feel like something's going on, right? And Dumbledore looks at him and he says, Severus, please. And Snape says nothing and just says, Vada Kedavra, and kills him. Kills him. It's insane. And Dumbledore is flying off the balcony and like, you know, obviously there's the, the sad scene with all the wizards when they find him and Harry's crying and it's a devastating, devastating scene, but it's necessary, you know, and Harry goes after him, fight back, you coward, fight back. And Snape, you can feel the emotion and Snape's standing there and he goes, you dare use my own spells against me? Yes, I am the half blood prince and then the score comes in and it's just bang bang boom harry potter i love it i love it harry potter is one of the best film series ever said it once i'll set it a hundred i'll say it a hundred times and i hope that you've enjoyed this very fired up comic book movie guy episode <laughs> and i'm running out of time here for myself you know and the thing is is Harry Potter will always be one of those films that you can say to a friend. You can be like, hey, you want to watch Harry Potter? And you're going to have a good time. And you can, it's one of those films that you can sit down and you can actually talk to people about. It's more than just watching a movie. It's like, well, 
Harry did this because of this, or just wait till you see this part, you know, or like everything's connected, everything works. And it's just one of the best book franchises and one of the best film franchises of all time. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode on Harry Potter and I'll close out with the final clip um, of the Harry Potter tribute that I found and just listen carefully, man. Listen closely and enjoy it for what it is. I've been comic book movie guy. I hope this gets you, you know, on your couch, ready to watch the wonderful wizarding world that is Harry Potter. Take care, guys. I'll see you on the next one. I tried so hard to help, and all it's done is make things worse. You're not a bad person. Well, you can, or you have to lose. Thank How dare you stand where he stood? Tell them how it happened that night. Fight back! You coward, fight I'd back! Go down the Tell them how you looked him in the eye. A man who trusted you and killed him. He has her eyes. There's a reason he can look into Lord Voldemort's mind. A part of Voldemort lives inside him. He belongs to the Dark Lord. So when the time comes, the boy must die.
I'm Ron, by the way. Ron Weasley. You're Harry Potter. I'm Hermione Granger. Harry. You'll stay with me. Harry. Until the end. You're the weak one. And you'll never know love. Or friendship. <laughs> and I feel sorry for you. that lovers never really leave us. You've been so brave, sweetheart. Something worth fighting for. Thank you. 